Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to Majority Minority, a podcast about the rising and evolving influence of people of color in Washington, D.C. And what it means for everyone else. I'm Franco Ordonez. I cover the White House for the 30 news outlets that together make up McClatchy. And I'm Bill Douglas, and I cover Congress for McClatchy. We got a chance to talk to Representative Mario Diaz-Balart from Florida, a longtime Miami Republican. We met the congressman in his office on Capitol Hill, and he was dashing in because they just got through with votes. He had meetings. He's got the brow sweating. It's a hectic day. We weren't sure whether we would be interrupted or not, but, you know, it was also really neat. I mean, he had so many darn photos in his office of Cuban leaders, of Cuban exiles, dissidents, and particularly of his family, of his dad, Rafael, the patriarch of the family, campaigning in Cuba to Afro-Cubans. It's kind of a neat window into his life and into his passion and ideology, which has really, um, I think, really shaped the kind of congressman that he is in Washington. He's the embodiment of a Florida Republican. He's fiercely anti-communist. He's fiercely anti-Castro. But yet he's also a moderate, by Republican standards at least, when it comes to seeking a a comprehensive revamp of the nation's immigration laws. He's uh, several generations of politicians out of Cuba. And there's his brother, Jose Diaz-Ballard. He's a anchor on a popular Spanish language show in South Florida, Noticiero Telemundo. And, you know, this is a family that's been extremely active in different ways. All right, let's get to it. And then we'll see. But, well, you had this office. Um, this one is not that old. I've only been here, I think, three congresses. Can you tell us a little bit of how you uh, what do we have here? Yeah, tell us um, what you have here. Yeah, it's good to look around because I haven't seen it. Well, this is this is one of the people that I most admire. This is, by the way, who happens to be here today. Uh-huh. This is Dr. Vicente Oscar Elias. Oh wow! Just this was my brother passed the yeah. uh, Nakata legislation, you know, yeah. legalizing uh, half a million folks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have that picture because I love my brother. Yeah, yeah. And it's a great picture. <laughs> you know, obviously, I got pictures of my son and my wife here. Okay. And my dad. And then these are interesting. This picture is... What's your dad's name? Rafael. Okay. And my middle name is Rafael. Oh, really? And my son's middle name is Rafael. And okay. Lincoln's middle name is Rafael. My oldest brother's name is Rafael. My father's name is Rafael. Really? Was. My grandfather's name is Rafael. And that's why this picture is so valuable. Yeah, talk to me. This is my grandfather when he was mayor in his little town. Yeah, yeah. In Banas, a small little town in, in, in Cuba. Okay. Now, the reason this is one of the most valuable things that my family owns, and we, yeah. all, have family, we all have copies of this picture, is because yeah. of this guy here. Okay. The, the War of Independence in Cuba, yeah. which lasted 100 years, yeah, yeah. culminated in what we know as the, as the Spanish-American War, right? Yeah, yeah. But there were 332,000 Spanish troops, colonial troops. Yeah, yeah. Among those were two brothers, very young, Manuel Bolart and Rafael Bolart. Ah. Rafael Bolart died in the War of Independence fighting for freedom. Manuel Bolart died of old age. So ever since Rafael Bolart, his brother, died fighting for freedom, in our family we've had that name. So this is a picture again of my grandfather, but that's Manuel Bolart. That's the brother of Rafael Bolart. This guy was a hero in the War of Independence. 
So we have that name in our family, and it's you know not a political issue because it's going now generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just a little, it's our little reminder of the cost of freedom, right? Oh, that's good. So we have a picture. Of, you know, that's my mom with that's my that's Lincoln. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And my What's your mom's name? Hilda. She passed away. Okay. My dad in a political rally in Cuba. I read a story before. Can you show me the photo of Raphael, your dad? My grandfather was. And Baltic. your grandfather. I mean, yeah, how yeah, how did yeah, that yeah. shape your political? You know, it's really interesting. Our our parents, their issue was not politics. They they didn't care what we did as far as you know, except for the fact that they always believed that you, in service. And and I would argue that what my brother Jose does is equally as important than anything I've ever done. Yeah, and yeah. So the one common denominator is do something that is not just for yourself. That's a huge privilege. Are you the youngest? Yeah. Okay. Not that young anymore, but the youngest. Yeah, yeah, is there yeah. a sibling rivalry? You know, when we were growing up, particularly Jose and I, they're almost the same age, we used to fight all the time. About what? About everything. Now, I will tell you that I, I don't have better friends. I get more joy from their successes than anything I've ever done. Who was your mom's favorite? Uh, of course, me. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we were very fortunate. They've even called you like the Cuban Kennedys. Or without the money. <laughs> or, the, you, or, the, or, the, or other things. What did you think of those type of... Yeah, look, you know, um, that's for others to you know, have fun with. We, we, we're, we're not. We're, we're just very fortunate people who have been able yeah. to live in a way that we believe means something. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge privilege. Can I ask you about growing up in Miami? Yeah. Um, you know, kind of like the Cuban-American population yeah. in Miami. A lot of people kind of see Miami or South Florida as kind of like another country almost. Mm -hmm. What was that like? I didn't grow up in Miami as a kid. Um, I've been in Miami for a million years. Yeah. Look, I think Miami is one of the most exciting cities in the world. You have a very dynamic urban area that yet is still pristine in so many ways. I, mean, I don't know, if, there aren't many w places in the planet where you can be, you know, you can, you, can, you can be in the Everglades in one moment, and then, you know, just a little while later, you can be in South Beach, or you can go to, um, you know, Wynwood or Little Haiti, or Little Havana. On top of that with, you know, what do you want? You want nightlife? It's there. You want great restaurants and real ethnic restaurants? They're there, right? What's your favorite food, and can you find that favorite food here in Washington? Wow. Uh, now, I will admit that I have a, a very serious weakness for uh, uh, Waffle House. Why? Because it's spectacular. It is spectacular. <laughs> Isn't it? It's spectacular. I grew up in I The grew up pecan in waffles oh, are a delicacy. Isn't that Hash browns. No, 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 no. Oh, it's man. a delicacy. The pecan waffles are a delicacy. The jalapeno hash browns, the oh, pepper brown, yeah. pepper you hash browns. You can't go wrong no. with waffles. No, all right. So... Put that aside. So I literally will find Waffle Houses when I'm. Yeah. Well, but you know something. There, by the way, not Waffle the, Houses coming to Miami. I know. I saw that. I was very excited about that. <laughs> and I'll tell you guys that I had a I had a meeting one time with a number of CEOs from different restaurants and yeah. stuff like that, and the CEO of Waffle House there, and it was like to me, it was almost like meeting the Beatles, uh, you know, or like you know Mick Jagger or something. But anyways, separate that for a second. At home, obviously, it's Cuban food. What's your favorite Cuban dish that your, your parents would make or your mom would make? Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, baca frita is great, you know. And then you can't talk to them because it's so heavy with garlic, right? Yeah. But I, I like to do meetings in Waffle Houses 
So I, I know where they are. I, I have the app on my phone. Have you written Waffle House and asked for Miami-Dade Waffle House? I didn't. No, I didn't. And, and, and I didn't tweet when they came because I figured that might be too much of an endorsement. I would love, <laughs> to, have a, I'd love to have our next meeting at Waffle House. Oh, no, you're, well, you're a Waffle House oh, guy. Oh, I'm definitely Waffle House Oh, yeah. Guy. Let me I'm tell you, it's Waffle a delicacy. Guy. Considering something that seems like it's never going to get done, talk about immigration. Yeah. You've been uh, battling that for years yeah, and years and my, years. One of my big frustrations is not having been able to get that done. I, don't, I can't think of a House Republican that has shed more sweat and tears, really, than you current. Yeah. What is it about you, and also what is it about <clears throat> your, your, your brothers, that you stayed in the game on this issue? Well, a couple things. First, if you just take a step back and just look at policy. I don't care where you look at any parts of the immigration system that you may be concerned with. Nobody can argue that there's any of it that's working well now. And it's potentially negatively affecting our national security, our economy, and then you have millions of people who are working hard, who are here undocumented, and I just don't know how you can just pretend that's not there. Under this administration, under the Trump administration, how do you make what you're saying happen? I think. Can it happen? I think so. Now, I've dealt with Republicans and Democrats on this issue. There are, there have always been a group of Democrats who really want to get this done. Really does. Yeah? There's a group of Republicans who want to get this done. But do you have a president who wants to get it done? I think we have a president who, now, this president has... Are you about has, to say that you think under Trump? I, this president has said, has said things in that area which to me have been really negative. Yeah. Seriously negative. But in conversations that I've had, with the administration, I believe that there may be a window of opportunity to actually do something on this issue. Is that window open today? No. All I want is folks who are willing to try to solve problems. And then usually, you can reach middle ground. On Cuba, yeah. very, very important issue to many of your constituents. Yep. They helped Trump over the hump. Yep. They want something. Should they have faith that Trump's going to roll back some of that? The president has been very clear. Uh, he and his administration have been very clear that they're going to do what? They're going to enforce the law. And the law is, all right, no sanction relief until free the political prisoner, allow for basic freedoms, yeah. as we talked about, and elections. I believe President Trump when he says that. Until he delivers on the commitment, I'm going to continue to pressure him on, on yeah. doing that. I'm so you're continue. pressuring him. What, are, what is actually being worked on? Because when I asked, they're like, he referred me back to campaign speeches. So is there actually something being worked on? My understanding, and without getting into, you know, yeah. I can't speak for the administration. Yeah. I, I am at this stage satisfied that there is a lot of work being done. And I am convinced that the president will keep his commitment. And when that happens, the Cuban people feels betrayed by President Obama. They believe that that what President Obama did was legitimize the dictatorship at the expense of the Cuban people. They believe, and the facts bear it out, and they said it at the time, that that would lead to further repression. That has happened. Repression is up. Arrests are up. And by the way, for our national security interests, we've seen now an increased Russian presence in Cuba. We've seen an increased Iranian involvement in Cuba. We've seen the continuation of the Castro regime funding and helping terrorist organizations around the world. So that's been catastrophic. Well, there have been a number of polls over the years that show a growing number of Cuban Americans, particularly younger ones, who embrace the idea of improved relations with Havana. It definitely runs counter to what the Diaz-Balart family believes. Yeah, I mean, it was fascinating because, I mean, the new generation of Cuban Americans are 
more interested in maybe having a connection with family members back in Cuba. That's what the polls say. But as you said, Diaz-Balart was not having really any of it. Yeah, I, I've seen those polls for generations. And I've seen the articles reflecting the polls. Let me read you some of the things, right, that we've been hearing and reading recently. I've got a bunch of these. Virtually all of several dozen Cubans interviewed would like to visit Cuba, either to see their relatives or just their country, which they have not seen for many, many years. Some segments of the exile community, especially young uh, refugees brought up and educated here, are not interested in the Cuban issue. That's the kind of thing, right, that we read a lot. That was written October 10th, 1974. I can keep going. Stop. So I can keep going for a couple hours. By the way, and so I've been hearing that and reading about those polls and the difference in the polls for decades. And yet, can anybody claim that any of those polls reflected the reality? What is the reality? The reality is this. Look, if you ask a 19-year-old Cuban-American, what's on your mind? Cuba doesn't come up. They're wondering about you know, what their next job is going to be and potentially what car they're going to drive, who they're going to date or not. When, however, the issue comes up, which shouldn't surprise anybody, who are the most aggressive ones? It's the young folks. And you see that in the response when Castro died or when he got sick. Look at the folks in the streets. It's young people. When you showed us the pictures over there and you showed us that rally, you mentioned there were Cubans of all colors there. And that's an image that maybe a lot of Americans don't see of Cuba. Right. Speak a little bit about Afro-Cuban. And, and do you ever think we'll see an, an Afro-Cuban member of Congress? First place, I'm sure that when the Cubans in Cuba have the ability to elect their leaders, which I hope will be soon, you're clearly going to see Afro-Cuban presidents. And absolutely, I think you will see Afro-Cuban members of Congress. In exile, the Afro-Cuban population is smaller than the white Cuban population. That's not the case in the island. You know, Cuba is a mixed population of Afro-Cubans. And one of the travesties of the situation of this 50, almost 60-year dictatorship is that those who have suffered the worst are the Afro-Cubans. Not only is the Castro regime a terrorist, narco-trafficking regime, a racist apartheid regime, and if you look at the majority of the opposition leaders in Cuba, they're Afro-Cubans, because they're the ones who have suffered mostly and worst under these almost 60 years of repression in Cuba. Do you think Afro-Cubans in Florida suffer discrimination? There is no doubt that blacks have suffered discrimination. If you are a minority or if you're a woman, you, know, you, and you tend to have it much more difficult uh, time. And, and so discrimination is real. Uh, I think the United States has gone, has made incredible progress um, in a very short period of time has made incredible progress. But I don't think we should, any of us should, should think that discrimination doesn't exist. It does exist, based on color, based on religion, based on. But here's the beauty about the United States, is that that is not institutional anymore. That now, just the contrary, that now that is seen as a bad thing, and it's not an institutionalized racism or an institutionalized uh, discrimination. And that is, that is an important distinction. Congressman, we want to thank you so much for taking the time. We have this lightning round. I want to ask you abbreviated one. All right, cool. A lot of this is about changing influence in Washington of people of color. You're Cuban-American. Yep. You're in Congress. Why does that matter? Um, why it matters is because I try to reflect the concerns of the folks that I represent. Why does it matter? Because uh, it is important that 
that that diversity and that the concerns that that diversity has, and there are a lot of the concerns, by the way, the same ones that everybody else has. I get that, but, but it's important that that voice uh, is heard up here in Washington, D.C. For me, it's just a privilege to be able to be a little part of that voice. What, what does success look like under Trump? The CBO states that the economy is going to be growing for the next 10 years at about 2%. The United States cannot be the United States that we inherited with a powerful military, the land of opportunity, growing at 2%. The biggest demonstration of success is if this economy is actually growing. You know, not from 1.8% to 2%, but at 3%, 3.5%. That, to me, is success. How do you think he'll surprise us, President Trump? I'll tell you where he surprised me is his willingness to roll up his sleeves on all sorts of issues and just getting his hands dirty and bringing people in the room and saying, all right, how do, we, how do we get this done? And so that, by the way, frankly, impressed me. Congressman, thank you so much for taking Good the to time see you all. to speak with us. Really appreciate it. No, I'm actually surprised that we weren't interrupted. Had we known, we'd have done this in a while perhaps. Oh, yeah, 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 To read more about the congressman and see pictures from his office, visit McClatchyDC.com. Thanks to producer Jordan Marie Smith and executive producer Davin Coburn. Find more of Majority Minority on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and tune in for you Amazon Alexa users. Don't forget to subscribe. And we'll be back soon with more Majority Minority. Majority Minority.